Okay, welcome back. This is the Multipod, and my name is Ted. I am your host for today's episode. I'm very pleased to be joined by our special guest, who goes by the name of Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Yeah. A lot of you would probably recognize Jeff. He's pretty active in the forum and Puttyverse uh, huddles and activities, uh, Jeff underscore M. And we, I mean, you know, the purpose of this show is, of course, to get to know people and members of the of the community and get some of their backstory and what brought them to the group and their take on multipotentiality and learned about some of their projects and, and hobbies and interests. So that's the well-rounded view of what we're trying to do here on the show. And it's always such a pleasure to get to know people and have the chance to have that conversation and share it with our wonderful listeners. Thanks very much also for everyone listening, for um, basically tuning in. You know, we, we do slow down a bit over the summertime, but um, we've been back at it now for the past month or so. We had a great episode there with K2, and uh, we did the putty comps there that came out um, in mid-November. And, uh, you know, there's lots more people to talk to. So you're going to hear a lot more episodes from us coming out in the next few weeks and months. And uh, and thanks for joining us. We really appreciate your time. So, yes, we want to get into... <clears throat> Yes, we want to get into uh, Jeff's story and uh, what brought him to the Partyverse. So, Jeff, you're coming to us live from Portugal, and some of the yes. people who know you and, and are listening may be aware that you are roommates with another multipotentialite who you met in the Partyverse, and it's Ollie. How did you guys end up living together? I did. It was a bit of a funny story. Like uh, I was working my master's thesis uh, in the last two years, some... Uh, Took me a bit of time, um, and we started talking over the Puttyverse. Just a few threads where we had some different interests in, like he has done some work in like IT and cybersecurity. I'm I studied biomedical engineering, uh, mostly oriented at software and signal processing stuff like that. Um, and I've been really interested in the whole. I I like to summarize it in robust systems or infrastructure for low resource environments like the the approach of like okay we have very limited access to systems or limited budget for systems but we do want to make the most out of this and be a bit smart about how you use your resources and so we got mm-hmm. talking a bit about that and then also about the whole thing of like different communities having trouble uh, communicating between each other, especially now with, when the pandemic hits with people moving yeah. into remote work. And so we started talking about that. So we went from discussing those things into when I graduated, like, hmm, what do I do now? <laughs> and um, I, I did some job applications, but I was like, ah, I'm not really feeling it. So where were you at that time? I was like, I was at home with my parents. Uh, In Belgium? In Belgium, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I moved back uh, from uni- from university, from my dorm, into my parents' house when the pandemic hit. And I kind of stayed there for almost a year and a half, almost two years. So that yeah. was kind of rough. Also, like, plenty of positive sides of, like, reconnecting with your family a bit. Um, yeah. But so I was looking for something where I could get outside again and get out of my comfort zone and meet some new people and try some new things. And then I mentioned to Oli, like, yeah, hey, I'm considering to just move to the Canary Islands for like, there's a, an organization that was working from there. And I kind of dropped it in as, as almost a joke, like kind of a joke. And you're like, <laughs> saying, oh yeah, we're going to Portugal. 
I'm going surfing there to to spend the winter. Um, always welcome. And I was like, ooh, hmm, maybe maybe that's an option. <laughs> and then I sat on that for a while, and I decided, like, yeah, why why not? Just yeah. give it a try. And so I decided to come here until Christmas. So I'm going back home for Christmas. Right. Um, kind but then you're coming back. Uh, at the moment, I'm still. I still have to get my driver's license. Okay. <laughs> and that's kind of. I, I registered some um, lessons in my exam because there were like massive waiting lists because everything mm. got postponed. Yeah, same here in Canada. Yeah. That's something that I, like I would like to just get it done as soon as possible. Sure. And for that, I have to be in Belgium for a while, but I'm still figuring out like how to make that cost as little time as possible or spend the time wisely. But I definitely want to catch up with Odi after the end. Is he staying in the apartment uh, into the new year? Yes. Yeah. He's yeah. staying here indefinitely. He's still considering like there's some talk about different communities uh, with uh, mm. different, also like with Sonia with, from the Petitverse as well. Yeah, talking about more people being here in Portugal, uh, people in Spain. Yeah, well, that's just fascinating. Like Portugal's becoming this hub of the Puttyverse, certainly, and maybe multi-potentialites in general. I, I know even people outside of our group who are traveling there right now. It's yeah, I mean, it's it's always. I think for a few years, it's been kind of a a buzzy place, you know, where people are going to. Do you find? A part of the appeal, I think, was that it was a little bit off the beaten path. It wasn't quite overrun with tourists, all, you know, say the last 10 years or something, and that it was a bit more affordable than France or, I guess, Germany and places like that. Do you find that still the case? So far, it's been, like, super affordable okay. uh, compared to living in Belgium, for example. Uh, I think it's, like, almost a third of what I would pay in rent oh, yeah. if I were to, like, rent an apartment by myself in Belgium. Whereabouts are you guys in Portugal? We'll try to in get Portugal, a sense here. It's uh, near Faro, so south, south, south of Portugal. Okay, like the south coast? Yes. Yeah, you know, we did an episode with Paul Socket uh, a few months ago in the spring. Yeah, he was there He, as he well. was there. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure if he's still there. but I don't think he is, but which city no. was he in? He was in, uh, I've got a map in front of me. It was either Faro or or maybe Portimao, around there, same yeah. area. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's very close. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And I know there was a uh, a meetup in person of about a week ago from when we're talking now, which is around the end of November. And you told me that you had a cold, you weren't able to go. But it again sounds like that's the momentum building that it could become a fairly regular thing with Sonia and a bunch and Ali and a bunch of other people that are there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting to see. Like I posted a different thread in the Puttyverse a while ago, a few months ago, about. I think it's called Village Renovations and One Dollar Homes or something. Uh, right, yeah. And that thread really took off. Like, that was very successful in terms of replies. Getting the Puttyverse cabin in Italy or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a whole discussion of, like, where can we go and what would be the best place and how would we, like, approach that practically and what would that look like. And I was really <laughs> surprised that there was so, many, so much interest. Uh, now I'm talking, like... I recently got another message from someone saying like, hey, I'm looking for a new place to live. Do you know any communities? Because I saw this thread. And so it's 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 a really interesting topic. And I'm, I'm curious how, like, I, I really want to explore that in the, in the coming years. Yeah. So we'll get into this a bit because would any of that integrate with some of your plans for, you know, work and 
and even career or just you, what you would plan to do for the next, I suppose, few years, like yeah. the community side and maybe tiny homes and things like that? Yeah, I hope so. As a teenager, I was already already like super interested in the whole architecture and tiny houses and mm -hmm. building stuff. And I built a shed in the garden and stuff like that. So like the moving around like furniture in my room to like rethink the functional layout of my room and stuff like that. So I was really engaged with that activity already. And then um, I decided to go for uh, engineering in university biomedical engineering and I got into software and I got interested in the whole open source movement. Uh, yes. Which is super interesting. Like there's so many opportunities in doing really good work through open source contributions. That's all possible or most of that is possible through remote work, which gives you a lot of flexibility in like where you live and how you live and where you work compared to the traditional nine to five getting in your yeah. office. Oh, yeah. Sitting behind the screen all day. Huh. Um, and that's been really interesting. And now I'm kind of circling back to like this, this balance between software and hardware, uh, where you have an interest in doing deep, challenging software work and, and open source. And on the other hand, like this interest in going back to kind of the grassroots movement of homesteading and low technologies, like very, accessible, low-resource solutions to basic life problems. Um, and I'm kind of interested to explore that in the coming years. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, there's definitely the demand. And if anything, I would think that we're kind of at the start of the wave of people taking an interest and actively thinking like changing their lives into living that way in you know various different ways, but that they're not just thinking about it, they're really thinking about how to then take action on it. And even that we're at a point where we still have <laughs> the flexibility, the option, and as opposed to, well, who knows, five, 10 uh, years from now or something when we may be more forced into doing it, probably because of climate change or other whatever government policies, structural things, the economy, et cetera, that will force some pretty major changes, I think, in the way we live our lives. So right now we're ahead of that wave. We can kind of you know, plan for it a bit. And you could be one of the people that's doing the research, disseminating the information and sharing it. So we should talk about doing a podcast or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but still, like, it's an interesting time. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it, there's an interesting, like, dynamic going on, I think. Like, last week, I read an article about Italy investing a billion euros in getting digital nomads back into the south of Italy. So reinvesting in digital infrastructure and kind of promoting that remote work lifestyle and, and reviving those villages, apparently. And so I'm really curious, like how we will or how we could go about the whole story of digital resilience through digital tools and, and physical tools. So you have the whole, how do you live physically and how self-sustaining are you or how resilient are you? Are you super dependent on like getting all of your food from a store two hours away versus yeah, exactly. how much do you produce yourself? And then digitally or virtually, like how are you connected to the rest of the world and how do you communicate with those people and how efficient do you go about distributing certain resources? And like, there's a bunch of really interesting challenges ahead, I think. And there already are 
like so many interesting solutions popping up, but it's a bit of a matter of scanning for the right ones and then filtering and combining a bit and integrating that again into something that's workable and accessible for average Joe, I guess. Yeah, that's true. That's the, I guess we need to break it down to that level at the end of the day where people can you know, easily learn how to do something, quickly integrate something into their lives. The people who, who don't have the interest or the time to learn some complex system, mm -hmm. that's why they make, you know, the software and the smartphones and stuff that's easy to just kind of pick up and learn in a few minutes. So to do that similar thing with the type of stuff you're talking about, sustainable living and communities and things like that. Yeah, yeah it's it's weird. Like I've been following this guy, this Canadian guy on, on YouTube who's a mechanic. And at some point he uploaded something saying that there was outages in Canada. I, I don't know the details exactly, but there were like inf infrastructure oh, yeah. outages where the two main roads to his place were blocked. So he didn't have access to the stores and then internet went down for a while. And the weird thing was like, he's a mechanic and some of his CNC machines went down because they couldn't connect to the mothership as he puts it. Like they, they, oh, yeah. they were disconnected from the cloud. And so this software was like, okay, yeah, we're, we're not working anymore. You have to find a balance between distributing your computations and your data and whatever in a way that I feel very strongly about resilience. Like if I buy a, a $2,000 or more CNC machine, then I would like that it keeps working even if the phone line in my street gets cut. So there's a lot of organizations doing, like there's even companies who are very strongly about saying, like, okay, yeah, we, you don't need a license and a connection to our cloud to operate your CNC machines because it's your CNC machine. You bought this machine, so it's your machine. If you want to repair it, if you want to like do anything with it, go ahead. Right. And that's a big difference. CNC is the cutting thing, right? For Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of like a vertical mill usually or you have different machines. But computer aided Is it like a 3D printer? No, it removes material. Oh, okay. So ah, okay, yeah. Kind of a router if you know a router, like uh, right, on right, on yeah. a robot arm or on a two D axis. Yeah, well, that's a good point. I mean, it's great to be connected. That's kind of the whole point. But also to have, I mean, physical backups in place. I suppose hard drives, really, or something like that, in case of emergency. And how much are we going to evolve towards having at least some kind of backup uh, power supply? Besides, obviously, fossil fuel. Uh, operated generators, but solar panels, maybe some kind of wind or even water generation that gives your house a little bit of that power to keep your fridge going or a power pack for your computer, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, There's a lot to be said and it really depends on your situation. Like if you're part of an apartment, if you're just renting an apartment yeah. in, in a bigger complex, then it's really important that you kind of have the opportunity to talk with the people in your building and consider like, hey, maybe we should consider reviewing our energy consumption or model. And there are consultancy companies who support that, or there are all kinds of business models around that. Have you found the Puttyverse to be a good source of inspiration and a learning for your thoughts about community building? Yes. Yeah, I've learned a lot about that, I think. I never had like an explicit interest in in community building and yet i find myself for example co-facilitating the gifts at an hsp group co-facilitating the nerds corner uh talking on different threads 
with different people. I hosted the focus parties for a long time uh, on, on Tuesdays in Europe. And it's been really interesting to meet m- many more people from very different backgrounds than you would in university or wherever. You've uh, been a member for just over a year now. I see it was October last year, 2020. What, how did you discover the, the group? What led you to joining? Um, I think I saw the video, the TED Talk from Emily at some point. But then I did. I went in for career counseling two years, almost three years ago, because I was really disoriented in, in my master's program about like, is, is this what I wanted? I was kind of disappointed with the program and I was a bit confused. Like, how is this what I want to do? Like, do I want to go work for a company or do something myself or do something completely different? And I wasn't sure. So I went into career counseling and at some point she referred to the book by Emily. Okay. Oh, that's nice. And then I kind of stumbled uh, my way into the Petit First Venture. Yeah. So the book and maybe the counselor that was at your first exposure to multi-potentiality, like the concept of it? Yeah. I don't think I had ever heard of it before. And I never kind of thought of it that way. I think before then, I liked the concept of being the integrator, the person who communicates between different specialists. Because that was one of the kind of profiles that were discussed in in my master's program. As biomedical engineers, you have to talk to medical experts, technical experts, patients, whatever, to kind of figure out a technical solution. And I like that concept of the integrator, but I never really thought about like, hey, maybe there is value in leaning very strongly into like, I have a lot of interests. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which you do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. Are you able to pursue a lot of those interests? Do you have the time and the kind of the bandwidth for it? I have as much time as Beyonce, so I should be fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's tricky sometimes. It's kind of a priority game, I guess, to balance yeah. between what should I do now, like what is urgent and needs to get done, and what do I want to do, short term, long term. Um, but I do feel like over the years, I've been mostly relatively well balanced. The, the past three, four years have been a bit rough in university being like, like having the expectations of like, ah, I, I have to focus on, on my degree. Yeah. And so then I was mainly doing like, I was going climbing, but then I, three years ago, I also started doing uh, volunteering work. So I joined an organization and I did preparatory work and I went to Kenya for eight weeks. Oh, cool. And then I became like the partner relations coordinator there. And that kind of took over my life in university to the point where I had to like reassess like, oh, I, I have some work to do. <laughs> so I try to be mindful of like, oh, I haven't climbed in a long time or I haven't done any sports in a long time. Like, it's time again. Was it a struggle to finish your degree in the end to finish university? It took me a while. I was really having trouble, I guess, with kind of finding a good, like, I wasn't really matching well with the people around me, like my, like the, the people guiding the, the thesis program, I guess. I felt very different and a bit misunderstood. And I, I, I wasn't really feeling it. And then I, like, I just used the opportunity of being in like mid pandemic to just 
be home and kind of figure out my own rhythm instead of forcing myself into an external structure. And that really helped. And like I was struggling for a long time. I eventually, this is something like side topic, but I got diagnosed for ADD. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Which was a bit weird, but it did help to kind of start looking into strategies that did help. And so eventually, like the last weeks, I think the last three weeks were the most fun of my entire thesis program because I was just like, okay, now it needs to get done. (laughs) We're going to make this happen. Did that diagnosis lead to some clarity then? Things started to make more sense? Yeah, because I felt really misunderstood in my approach to work. I would always be very intuitive about the way like you are presented a problem and you go very broad and like, oh, I could do this and this and this and this and this and this. And then I usually like to sit on those things for a while and be like, just let it process in the back of my mind and, and do some other things like go do some sports or some other projects or whatever. Right. And then come back to it, discuss it a little bit with people maybe. And then once it's really clear to me, like what I'm going to try to make or build or present exactly, then I can just like sit down and do the work. But it needs to be clear to me. And during that master's program, I was very much like in October or November, people saying like, yeah, you should start writing your literature study. And I was like, but like, I don't even know what I'm making it like why should i start writing now and that was a very Hmm. weird experience it was strange to feel like but nothing is wrong with me and why yeah why why is this approach so different and then once i had the diagnosis i was like ah okay so there is some barrier in terms of like understanding and, and physiological difference i guess where you can kind of put that a bit into perspective and then communicate that as well with like my my thesis mentor at the time was surprisingly supportive of once I said like okay I have this diagnosis like because I was already struggling with what I like with getting the work done and we talked about it and then he was very supportive and said like okay what what can I do for you to make this easier and joined my experiment instead of me feeling very defensive about like no 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 I'm trying my best just Mm. let me do my thing. Did you find it helped to have kind of an objective or a purpose in mind to help you get it done in the end? Yes. Yeah. It took me a while because like I said, I was doing that career counseling two years before I graduated. I was really like not even sure if I wanted to graduate at at some points. I think in December of 2020, I almost dropped out to become a carpenter. Yeah. <laughs> you can still do that. <laughs> I can still do that, but like it was like Good money. <laughs> I was completely ready to, to drop out of it. Yeah. And it was... I think what very much helped to understand why I was doing what I was doing was partially also from people on the puttyverse saying like, yeah, as much as you're multi-talented and everything, you've made it this far, it's going to be so much easier to communicate with traditional working people once you, once you have that degree and once you are able to like say like, okay, I did my work in university and I have this qualification to show that i can deliver scientific work yeah you kind of have to play the game sometimes (laughs) yeah but if you're that close to finishing it's a bit easier yeah absolutely and then kind of just going with my own natural rhythms a bit more and just leaning into how i wanted to approach things and just allow myself the time uh, to do it the way i wanted to Hmm. 
So I want to ask you now, uh, you finished your master's and you're in the transition of, you know, seeking work and I guess building your career, whatever you want to make of it and however it evolves. Now you're the type of person who, well, I'm sure you were surrounded in your program not that long ago of people that were like, I'm going to apply to all these companies and like pursue kind of normal jobs, probably right. But I'm guessing you're well, I know that you're trying to do something a little different and basically build your own path. So what's that experience been like so far? Do you feel encouraged? Do you feel like you're kind of getting somewhere and there's some momentum happening and you, you're you're getting to where you want to get to? I feel like there's a lot more clarity since the last few years. I was in a very, in my in my head space during lockdown, being at home and like not really having those peers to talk to outside of, digital connections and now i've had some time to take a step back and go outside and come to portugal and talk a bit to Oli and sonia and like the, the whole shebang of, of really interesting people and i i'm starting to feel a lot more like there's some actionable opportunities starting to develop like a bit more clarity about what my skills and and knowledge are and what I can do in terms of I have a, a vision or a direction of where I would like things to move, at least for my own situation with being a bit more connected with with people and with the outdoors and, and yeah. being a bit self-sufficient and, and with the whole climate change and political tensions or whatever, being a bit resilient against those and, and exploring it digital toolkits in the sense of like how do you communicate efficiently and like what kind of people might be served by that like i've been talking to Oli about like everything we've talked about already might for example be very applicable in refugee camps oh yeah hmm. so i'm still figuring out what to do exactly so i'm still look like kind of in the, in the startup way of looking at things or the the business way of looking at things like looking at who will be my first client who wants to start working with me on these things. But I feel like that's, I'm getting there. Like I'm getting closer to it. Yeah, I think there's plenty of opportunities for really interesting projects and meeting a lot of interesting people because there's already so much out there. You know, that, that brings to my interesting question. Then do you feel the need to connect with the people doing the things already? You say there's lots of stuff happening out there. Do you feel you need to go to find them physically in person I guess, conferences or events or community, like actual communities, physical communities, or can you get that online? Can you have the digital and virtual connection and that'll be sufficient? I feel it depends a bit on like how far you're willing to reach. If you want to learn from people, I think digital tools are already very strong, like sufficient for most purposes. If you want to focus more on those little practical details of what kind of culture does this organization apply to get where they are or where they are going and how do they approach things in practice. Like the, the implementation side, I think, is very physical still and very tactile and you need to yeah, tactile. go there and, and feel it and, and learn by just being present yeah uh, humans need that yeah. yeah and i don't feel like that's reproducible yet digitally for me the value of digital tools is to 
find the right people and kind of filter out what you want to learn from them and, and refine your own image of how things are put together and how they might work together. And you can do a week of like, if you have a new question, you can do a few days of reading online and gathering different sources and then yeah. sending out a few emails and saying like, Hey, I have this idea. I think we could collaborate or you should collaborate or have you ever thought about collaborating or so stuff like that? And you can just send that out by email without having to be the physical messenger of like driving to organization A and be like, Hey, I really liked your work. Can I join for a day? And then driving to B and then back and kind of mediating between that. Digital tools are much more suited for that kind of stuff. Yeah. It facilitates those conversations so much yeah. easier. Yeah. But that's the thing. I mean, it would seem obvious that's the way to do it. And, and it is, but like, I think about it for myself, you know, I need to start going to some more conferences in person. Mm. For me, it's in the podcasting space and podcast conferences and also travel conferences where I can get in front of those people. And there's a limit to how much you can get out of I mean, Facebook groups and other kinds of things like that, and even your social media and all that kind of stuff. Like, obviously, it's amazing that we have it and it gets you out there, but you still got to connect with people in person, I think, at the end yeah. of the day, if at all possible. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Once you start kind of building an, an idea of where you want to go and with who, or at least who has the tools that you want to apply, then I think it makes much more sense to just spend a bit of time with those people. Mm -hmm. I think there's been a lot of value in me coming here to Portugal yeah. and talking to Oli about, about all these topics that we're interested in and getting a more nuanced idea of what we know and what we think about and how we think about those things. Yeah, and that makes me think too. There's been, you know, we're starting to talk in the Puttyverse about the 10-year anniversary coming up next spring and in, I guess, April or May, whenever we decide to really celebrate it. But with putting an emphasis as much as we possibly can on people getting together in person and to do, I mean, there's been little bits of that over the years for sure, but to, I don't know, try to try to make that more of a regular thing or more part of this community, at least to some extent, you know, instead of it being a, a really exceptional thing, we try to make yeah. it a little more regular and just part of the experience. It's something that we build up to, you know, we aspire to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. So I really hope I can come and join you guys in Portugal. <laughs> One of these days, there's lots of people I'd love to meet. Yeah. Always welcome. No, it would be awesome. Yeah, and I have fond memories of Belgium too. It was one of my favorite countries to travel through, and you know the food and the beer and the history and everything is yeah. fascinating. Yeah, it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Whereabouts were you from in Belgium? Uh, I was born in Hasselt, and then okay. I was spent my first few years as a toddler in Leuven, in the university yeah. city, and then we moved to Sint-Gruyde, which is uh, east, more east, ten minutes from the Wallonian border. Okay. So I moved a bit around a little bit, but uh, it's a small country. It's also small, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's like the size of Eastern Ontario. Yeah, <laughs> In two hours, you're at the other side of the country. So, yeah, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where's the best place for people to find you and to to follow what you're doing besides on the Puttyverse? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Matrix. I am on Facebook. Although I try to not spend as much time as usual mm -hmm. there can always reach out to me by email, jeff.masril at gmail.com. 
But I think I, I might be easiest to find on LinkedIn at the moment. Or on GitHub. If you want to see what I'm coding, you can see what I'm... Just my name. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll put the links in, in our show notes here for sure. And there's uh, there's more and more people from the Puttyverse that are connecting on LinkedIn as well. It's a nice little community there. Just to kind of give us that focus on, I suppose, our professional activities and plans and tapping into broader networks. So it's, if, if, if anyone's listening and you're on LinkedIn and you want to connect with us there, then, then go for it. There is actually a spreadsheet around here somewhere. I'll put the links in of everyone who's uh, put their name down and you can find their LinkedIn uh, profile and links there. So I'll put that in too. It's uh, been really, really great to finally chat with you in person and uh, get to know your story and hear the things you're up to and your journey so far. There's lots to look forward to in the new year. Yeah, it's been interesting to talk to you. So thank you for yeah. having me. And I'm curious what life will bring. That's true. Yeah, I think 2022 is going to be an interesting year. <laughs> Things will keep changing and evolving for all of us. It's uh, an adventure, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and uh, say hi to Ollie for us. Is he there? We'll do. Um, he might be. I think he's on a walk, but he might be in a different room. Well, yeah, say hi for us. We'll get him on the show too. He's he's on the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely. Nice. All right. No, very nice. Cool. Well, take care. Yeah.